Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm your host, Professor, and my co-hosts are DJ and Devi Boy. How are you guys going? Doing good. I'm doing good. It's been a fun week. I uh, I finally decided to go back to uni. Yay! Woo! Uh, is your degree one of the ones that's going to be on site? Uh, unfortunately, no. <laughs> unfortunately, no. Should have should have done some manual arts. <laughs> yeah, I need I, I need a I need DeLorean with a flux capacitor right now. <laughs> So what are you gonna do? Um, health management. Nice. So Sex. basically, basically HR person in the hospital saying, "All, all you nurses, you're gonna get a pay cut." You're right. So you're the one who's doing it. <laughs> all right, guys, you know where he is. Just um, he's on 45th Allen View of uh, Sissy Street. Just. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you, DJ? <laughs> uh, sorry, Devi boy. Hey. <laughs> oh, we're just starting and I'm already messed up. Oh, my. Hey, 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 it's, all, it's really fine. It's winter. We're all cold. Our brains aren't functioning, you know. You, well, have you got a I function better in the cold. Oh, well, then you're just, you're just falling apart, mate. I'm sorry. Nothing can help you. I'm getting old. The getting dementia's old, kicked yeah. in. Well, maybe, maybe, you should get, um, maybe you should get DJ to help you out a little. <laughs> I'll be your personal carer. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm holidays, so I'm having a fun time with VR and uh, wasting, well, wasting time inside virtual worlds. Is it fun? Uh, is it expensive to get getting a VR? Uh, I mean, I've got an Oculus Quest, which I mean that you can use without the computer. Um, so that's about six hundred dollars, I think. Ugh, that's the current that's... price they're going for. It they actually reduced a lot from eight hundred to nine hundred. They were during the pandemic, mm. um, and that's the cheaper one. So that's cheaper one, yeah. Yeah. So obviously resolution of the actual screen and stuff's not like that. It's not as good as the high ones, but I don't really care. I can't really tell. Um, but I am linking it up to my computer, which is uh, I mean, it's three years old now, but still got my. I got a like iCore seven and a gigabyte drive. I think it's a seven twenty. No, hang on. Ah, I, I'm not a PC spec person, so it's a gigabyte. Uh, ten seventy. That's it. 1070. So it, it can run pretty good. A lot of games, just at like sort of medium quality. It can do max, but you'll see flames coming out the back of those fans. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, try to avoid that. Yeah, I mean, it's nice toasting marshmallows behind it. It's, <laughs> it's a really good way to just double, you know, you need some food. But, uh, but nah, it's, it's a good. It, it, so, yeah, like if you want to play half like Alex, you're going to be looking for, at a, re- a reasonable amount of money to get things up and running. But I mean, I'll, go, I'll recommend getting the, the uh, if you're looking for a VR headset, get the Oculus Quest because you don't need a PC to play it anytime. You set up anywhere. Yeah. Um, and Steam compatible, if I recall, right? Yeah, that's what I've been doing. So I've been running it through, it's like 40 chests the Siri run. So you've got your Quest, right? And Quest, Oculus Quest has, it has its own home inside the headset itself, right? Through that, you plug it into the Oculus app, which is what all your Oculus devices use on the computer, right? Inside the Oculus app, there's also another home screen where you've got another home, another base, right? Then you run through that, you run Steam VR. Now, Steam VR also has its own home base in your UI system. Through that, you then run your game. <laughs> if one of those levels decides to not have fun, you have a fun time trying to fix it. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, because at the so same like- time, Windows is trying to fight them all. Because you know, Windows is being Windows, it thinks they're all viruses, tries to shut everything down. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it works. I haven't had too many issues yet, but I have heard some people have, like, some uh, worse rigs than mine have had some fun. But 
I think everyone has to roll a dice, I guess. So if one goes down, it's a cascading effect, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Anyway, uh, we should move on with our first topic, which is about the upcoming Nerds Amalgamated fishing trip to Pluto. What? Oh. So... It turns out Pluto could have an underground liquid ocean, which is oh, absolutely okay. insane considering how far it is from the, the sun. So the, uh, the reason for that would be that the gravitational pull from its moons and nearby planets stretches the crust, which generates heat and keeps the, uh, keeps the ocean warm. So does that mean we're going to officially call Pluto a planet? No. Ah, oh, nuts. So, so it's not a, it's not a rock sack as everyone originally thought it was. Yeah, everyone's always thought it's just rock and ice, but um, seems like it could actually have enough internal heat to have a liquid o- ocean. Mm, that's interesting. So it'd be like mutant fish there. I hope so. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, so that's so I see how it'll be now. Be oh, today the world's dead still moving a fish from Pluto. Yeah. So anyway, I reckon we should go there for a fishing trip. You know, <laughs> ice fishing. Never done it before, but can't be that hard. <laughs> Just get some ice poles, maybe a flamethrower. We'll break through. It's all good. Don't worry about. It. I mean, if you get some more fuel, it's only a few light years away. I mean, there's a few light. Wouldn't be light years, would it? Uh, no, astronomical units. Astronomical it's a units. Term. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, a few astronomical units are back. To Earth, maybe it'll take a few hundred years, most likely. Yeah, it's fine, guys. <laughs> so that's interesting. Like so we always assume that Mars and the Moon have um have liquids in in the planets, and so now Pluto is ha- having um liquids in the planet. That's an interesting um. So is that going to be an assumption that all planets have liquids in the end, though, or are they gonna? Do it the old-fashioned way and just bring a rocket into Mercury and Jupiter and... Well, the, um, they came up with this idea partly through uh, simulation and they simulated two options, whether Pluto started off as a, a, uh, a conglomeration of ice and rock that just happened to be out there or whether it started hot and froze later. And they um, so they reckon that it must have had a, uh, a hot start just because if it was started cold, they would have seen compression and fractures, and it would have the surface would be more broken and dynamic than it is because of the expansion of the liquid freezing into ice. Yeah. So I don't think most planets will have liquid oceans, yeah. but the um, interesting thing will be to see if the other little planets, like what sort of dwarf planets around there do, because I mean, uh, there's oh, 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 half a dozen dwarf planets in the vicinity of Pluto. Uh, you were going to say something there, um, Debbie Boy? Yeah, so like, it'll be a very tough environment even, because like Earth itself, you know, you have a very hot center, the majority of our heat for why we got liquid water comes from the sun, but Pluto is so far out that, you know, it's going to be freezing cold, negative 100 on the outside, right? And then inside it's going to be like burning hot if there's going to be liquid water. So, like, it's either the water layer will be scoped from frozen solid ice to like boiling. So, um, it only has to be above zero for it to be liquid. Yeah, I'm talking like if there was plant, plant life or something in there, right? It's got huh. be a very hostile environment for it to be able to survive. Yeah. It's being like just how. There's no atmosphere on the outside. Yeah, there's. Um, according to the cycle, they were saying, as it turns out, there's no. Th- there is a way to tell whether Pluto formed hot or cold by simply observing the door planet surface. It relates to the straightforward that water expands as it freezes and compresses. Come on, DJ. That's what I just said a minute ago. Are you? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, it, is the dementia's contagious? I know. What are you doing to Run, us? Debbie Boy. What have you Run. done? Run. I'm out of here, guys. Bye. 
Um, so it's basically, it's all icy, and the insides vibrate less and form a crystalline su- structure that leaves ice less dense. Yeah, so that's why the ice comes to the surface in water. Yeah. But um, the other thing is, they reckon that the reason why, um, they reckon that life on a subsurface ocean is better protected than life on a on a surface because you you can't get hit by asteroids uh flares and supernovas can't get to you uh cosmic radiation is reduced yeah that'll be interesting that'll be interesting um with the with the amount of radiation that's been um that will be coming out in the next few years i wonder how um how dwarf planets would react to it um, yeah. yeah you're talking about the, the solar maximum yeah yeah. Yeah, that's not for a few years, I think. I think um we're in a uh a solar minimum at the moment. But uh you know, they've survived this long. A solar cycle is about eleven years, so they've survived this long and I don't think it would make a big difference. So it's gonna be like twenty, fifty years down the future we're gonna finally get some pe- some humans over all space probe to Pluto, right? And it's got it's gonna be us. We drill a hole, we jump down, and we just see it this alien world just look staring at us. Oh I bloody hope fishies. so. <laughs> this Sarah is just like, mate, you cut a hole through the ice layer, you idiot. <laughs> I hope so. so I want to see space fish. Space fish. <laughs> Wait, no, no, space penguins. Space penguins. <laughs> so you got like three eyes and like glowing tail or something? Yeah, well, the space penguins would rule over Pluto. And they <laughs> oh, would have so- the Interplanetary Space Penguin Alliance. Ah, <laughs> so they'll, have a, they'll be a king space penguin? Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. So we'll, we'll be the invaders coming in. And it's like, take us to your king. We come over. This is penguin. Just, just there. Just looks, looks at us. And, and eats and, us. And this penguin's name will be named Gunter. Gunter. All right. All right. Scientists of the future, you've you've heard it here first. If you see a penguin <laughs> on Plinto, name him Gunter. <laughs> but, but imagine that... the fish and chips. <laughs> oh. Potatoes from Mars. Fish from Pluto. Um. Busy drinks from uh, Saturn. No, Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> we carbonate your, your fancy water this time of Jupiter atmosphere. Taste where's it now. Mer- die later. And then where's Mercury fit in? Well, that's the place you send people they want to die. Because Mercury. <laughs> yeah. And Venus? Venus? I mean, once more, you're getting pretty hot there, mate. You want to, I don't know. Actually, no, 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 I got it. Right, so many is the future. When we've just got that many people on Earth and Mars and stuff, we just... We're running our space to put ovens, right? So instead, we have interplanetary um, alliance of companies that send your food to Venus <laughs> to get it cooked, and then they ship it back. This yeah, is I- some Heston stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> to take Heston food, we test the Venus oven theory. <laughs> It'll be like sponsored by Uber Eats. He's <laughs> like, he comes to come and taste it. It's just like, yeah, pretty crispy and radioactive on the bottom. A bit cold and icy on the top, but in the center, it's all right. <laughs> Actually, Tom Scott did send uh, garlic bread to space. True, he did do that, didn't he? And they found it was quite icy on the way down. Yeah, because it uh, didn't actually warm up enough on the way back to Earth. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's a YouTube video about that. Yeah. Just in general, the- if, you like to- if, if you like science, watch Tom Scott. Or just I- anything. It's an amazing YouTube channel. But just curious, though, would you say that Alien life, it, would that uh, will that ultimately answer the question, there is alien life, though? If they it, found it on Pluto? Yeah. 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 And it would, so many extra questions there. Did we both get seeded from the same event? 
you know, did life come from another planet and end up on Earth and Pluto? Did it evolve independently? So much to find out. I mean, I guess the real question will be if they have space lasers or not. <laughs> if they've got space lasers, then we've got an issue. They don't have space lasers. We invade and take them out before they do. I mean, it's human nature. <laughs> it's going to happen, unfortunately. So what are you excited for this week, Debbie? Oh, boy. Man. I, I, so I am a video game fan. A retro video game fan. And announced this week was a new Metal Slug games. In fact, two new Metal Slug games. One Ooh. is a mobile game funded by Ooh. Tencent. Uh, it's only going to release in Chinese markets as of uh, right now. Uh, yeah, but, so you can so, tell it's already going to be pretty rubbish. Uh, I mean, it's it looks good. And there's, there's another one for... Uh, it's in-house development by SNK. So you don't know who SNK is. They're the developers of Metal Slug and King of Fighters. They're like an underdog back in the 90s, right? Now, they have had a turnaround lately uh, since... Actually, same year, so well, is it 2015? Konami left. For the pachinko industry, wasn't it? I think around there. In that same year, SNK was like, "Yep, not we've had enough of the pachinko. We're going back to game development since the '90s." So they've been starting to bring out new games, which is great. Um, so yeah, we're going to get a new Metal Slug console game. Then we're getting the spit the spin off one by Tencent. This is the only one we've got a trailer of this for this week. We've only got a little paragraph saying that we've got one coming inside SNK. So what is this new Tencent uh, Metal Slug game? Well, it is a fully Chinese game, but it is in a lineage of games they've already made. They've only like three other ones. This is the first one using 3D graphics, and it's a recreation of all original Devon Metal Slug, uh, uh, technically eight, uh, Metal Slug games. So one all the way through to Double X. And it's, yeah, it's all the games remade in 3D. And they've added some new weapons and stuff as well, like uh, Ice Gun and a few other things. It looks pretty cool. Graphically, it's it's all right. I mean, I'm one of the people who's really into pixel art, and the whole reason Metal Slug is it's pixel art, because it, it is breathtaking. Like, it was made in the mid-90s, but it still holds up today. Um, so having it all 3D graphics, I mean, it, it looks more modern, but it sort of loses that charm, I feel. But, I mean, just in general, having any new Metal Slug is great, because we haven't had any years. Oh, I used to love playing Metal Slug X. That was a fun game. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, okay, Metal Slug X is a funny story, because um, Metal Slug X is a remake of Metal Slug 2, which came out the year previous. Metal Slug 2 shipped with some very crippling frame rate issues. <laughs> like, an explosion goes off, the frame rate drops to, like, 3? No, no. 10 to 3. It just, oh, this is sort of chucking, bam, and it goes back. So, Metal Slug X was basically all the poor, poor arcade owners basically shipped this out the year off saying, ah, uh, sorry, we kind of fucked up there. Here is the <laughs> fixed version of Metal Slug, which doesn't have crippling primary issues. Um, this one, and Metal Slug X still throwing some more enemies and stuff to have some fun. I'm a big Metal Slug fan, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> they're, they're fun. They are fun. Yes, I hope this one uh, keeps the holds up and keeps the, the hook of the gameplay. Like, graphically, it probably cool. won't make a big difference, but if they get the gameplay wrong, you'll feel that right away. Yeah, I mean, uh, gameplay-wise, it looks really similar. I mean, it's Metal Slug. It's not too difficult to get right. But it's on a certain level, you got to try and get. Like the jump, like I'm not expecting to be like perfect, like the jump floatiness and fall and stuff be the same, but like as long as you can shoot stuff and blow stuff up, it should feel good. But I mean, it is only being designed for mobiles, so it really, I don't know, it, it, I'm feeling half and half. It's, I, I mean, I want to get my hands on it and try it out. It's really any real, real way to tell these sort of things, hey? Yeah, but I'm just, I'm just skeptical about the mobile game though, with the mobile game. Because if we all know mobile mobile games are cash grabs at this point. Like, I mean, inside a trail they showed a hub world, so oh dear. <laughs> oh Run no! Run and don't look back. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, the uh, a mobile game. I mean, really, did they, they really go to that point, that low point? I mean, Look- Metal Slug's already had like five mobile games. You had Metal Slug Defense, the tower defense game made in 2014 or something. They had Metal Slug Attack, which is a 20th anniversary game, which was just Metal Slug Defense again. Now with some more weapons at higher transaction value. And then you had these three Tencent games already previously made for Chinese markets, which were just Flash sort of like games. I never really played them because I downloaded one of them and it instantly asked me for my credit card details. So I said, no. <laughs> and, uh, and there it is. <laughs> so are there, if this falls through, are you aware of any alternative games that you can play? <sighs> this one, the Mel Slug? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, there is the... Uh, incoming development one SNK itself. So maybe we'll always do that one to play, hopefully. Because the SNK themselves should do a good job considering it's their property. And they've been doing really well for King of Fires lately. So I'm pretty confident of that. Which um, platform are they doing the the mobile game version? If you don't mind me asking, is it, uh, is it just iPhone or? I mean, it'll be Android as well, I'm guessing. Because yeah. uh, they haven't really announced it too much, I don't believe. Like, it's all in Chinese as well, so it makes it a bit difficult. But mainly... Just mobile in general, so I'm guessing Apple and Android stuff. You reckon SNK will go after the Tencent, though, in terms of copyright infringement and stuff? Oh, no, because they, they're working together on this project, so there's no copyright, copyright oh, okay. infringement. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're both working together. Uh, SNK put out an announcement back in 2015 that any company that wanted to borrow or use the IPs can apply for them. So that's probably where this is coming through. Um, so basically, any so SNK. <laughs> <laughs> so like, if you want to, if you can suffocate a company today and you can pay some money to them, you can use their IPs and get resources from them. So that's how a lot of these other projects outside of their main development studios have been funded. All right, let's make a mill. Let's make a nerds amalgam and mill slug game. We'll pitch in and we'll give it to SNK and go. Here, we'd like to use your assets. And what would we do? Blowing up just memes or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wonder what um what their licensing fee would be as well. I, mean, I haven't looked. Even no, no one really knows because all of them disclosure agreements. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be. I wouldn't say it'll be overly expensive considering it's not like Capcom or something. But at the same time, they are still well-known properties in Pacific circles, right? So it wouldn't be like dry bone dollars, like fifty bucks something. It'd be a lot more than that. I, I, I would say like maybe ten k if we're. That might be the closest thing I can think of. Five k to ten k, I think somewhere in that somewhere in the thousand range. I, I I say definitely, yeah. I mean, SNK. It's good to see SNK coming back after all this time. Oh yeah, like it's basically the story of their company went um, mid nineties. They helped influence the fighting fighting game genre. They were the first company to come hot off the heels of um, Street Fighter Two, like. Fatal Fury and Street Fighter 2 are the ones being it out in the mid-90s, and they Metal yeah. Slug and a few other games along the way. But, come to the early 2000s, arcades were, you know, kind of dead. And they never influenced, they never got the ability, they never tried to get the ability to jump the consoles. They never bothered. They just kept making arcade games until, well, the money ran out. Mm-hmm. Then they were bought out by a Pachinko Parlor uh, company. So they used all their IPs and moved over to making Pachinko games. But then, uh, come 2015... New regulation laws in Japan basically were like, so, more red tape. And you have to remake all your arcade machines to, to all your, not arcade machines, your Pachinko machines to align these new rules. Now, basically, like, yeah, nah, we're out. And then move back to game development. Um, that's that's right. Yeah. They were bought by um, as, um, Aruzi, yeah, Aruzi Corporation. That's right. And then they, which is now known as Universal Entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like I remember, it's funny because Aruzi made some games for the platform. Well, it's actually funny; it makes sense because they, they made a pachinko game for the game. Oh, not Game Boy Color, the Neo Geo Pocket Color. 
Oh is, yeah, I remember they made, that one. Yeah, they made a they made a game for that, and then well, they bought SNK out. So I mean, it's it's a topsy topsy turvy story, but at least they're back and they're they're trying their best, and I think they're doing a good job so far. Curiously though, with this new um with this new Metal Slug game that's coming out though, would you see could you see this as the the rise of the emulator? I mean, M- SNK are famous for the emulators. In what way? Like with the Metal Slug games and the King of Fighters. Oh, they're already doing it. Like yeah. every single console generation that comes out, they port everything. Every single game they have that is worthwhile, they port. Like you look on Switch, every game's on there. Look on, well, it's closed down. Look on the Virtual Console, it's there. Look on Xbox, PS4, it's all there. Every Metal Slug there just slaps in the emulator, put it up. He'll buy it. A lot of people buy it. So. I mean, they've worked out how to make one one little ROM create thousands of dollars automatically by just slapping it on every single new generation. I will bet you a million dollars that they will release it on PS5 and Xbox Series X the second they come out. <laughs> oh, that's gonna be, that, that, that'll be interesting if that happened. Yeah, how Mark, often can you buy a new copy of uh, Metal Slug? Uh, literally every single console. Oh, you mean like the Neo Geo? Cop cartridge? Oh no! I mean, is it like when they release it on a new uh, e-store? Is it the same people who already own it who are buying it, or do they get a different bunch into people like skip a generation? Who knows? I'm guessing some who already own it and some that are new. But remember, they got a lot of sales out when it was on the Switch because they released them like in the first day the Switch was available to people. So there was no games back then. People were like, "Well, you want to play a game? Oh, look, there's twenty thousand SNK games here. Might as well buy one of those." I would love to see in the with the new Metal Slug that's coming out, they put some Easter eggs to say like, "Hey, here's some nostalgia for you to remember us." Oh, they, they will. Don't don't you worry. Because the whole point of Metal Slug series is reusing models. Well, actually, it depends if they go. I bet it'll be. I I have a feeling it'll be 3D. Pixel art is dead in the amount of detail they want outside of indie games. And I I don't considering King of Fighters moved away to 3D. I don't think it's going to be pixel art. Um, the new one. I, I'll, I think it'll be 3D models. Now, I reckon with 3D models, you can still make it look amazing and help bring that cartoony charm if you have talented animators. So it'll be... I honestly have no idea. Time will tell. But the problem with, like, when you try and transition from the pixel art to 3D animation is the amount of effort doubles and also the cost also doubles, wouldn't it? Actually, no. No? Doing the pixel art of the same kind of high quality they have triples by doing pixel art of what you want these days. Because, okay, so in 2010, they released King of Fighters 7, I think it was. I can't remember exactly the correct name. There's so many King of Fighters. It had pixel art. It was a 2010 game with pixel art. Every single character model, like every character in the game, took three months to draw. Oh! There are, what, 15 something characters? I can't remember exactly. I'll, I, I know the number's wrong, but there is a good chunk of characters like three to four months per character yeah, so it's actually easier to do passable 3d art than it is to do um pixel art because with pixel art you have to am- animate every frame with 3d art you can at least take advantage of uh rigging your model yeah but, like- dep- oh, but also depend but wouldn't it also depend on what um engine they're using though like your unity engine or your um maya or not really as long as the if the engine has 3D support, can make 3D like Unity, Unreal, whatever it is, they will be able to make 3D games in it. Like it is not really 
it just depends on the art style. It doesn't really matter on the engine. If you're going to do pixel art, then it's going to take more time. If you're doing pixel art over high quality, which you need for AAA games, it's going to take more. It's going to take longer than a 3D model will. Because mm-hmm. a 3D model, you rig it, draw it once, rig it, and then you can use it a million times. Pixel art, you can draw one frame and you use one frame for that one frame. Okay. So uh, the last few weeks, I've been talking about some video game archaeology, finding old games that have been missing for years and tracking them down. This week, I have the opposite, using games to preserve historical knowledge. So some anthropologists and a um, Brazilian tribe, the Huni, uh, the Hunikuan tribe, are from uh, they're from the Amazon and have worked with these anthropologists to produce a video game based around their myths and legends. So the Hunikuan tribe, uh, also known as Kaxinawa, which is the sort of the Western name for them, Hunikuan is their own name, and the the game's out on um, a bunch of different platforms, free to play, so you can download it from the link in the show notes there and just check it out it's an interesting little platformer so how old was this game when it's like just come out so the um they've got a full article about it but they started in 2012 and met with the hunikuan leaders and they actually had ayahuasca which is a uh, a psychedelic i think drug and actually you know got to know the people and spoke to them about the project they traveled out to the tribes got the the people from the village to actually do the art for them and you can play the game in their native language nice oh wow that's cool i mean i've been hearing a lot of projects similar to this all around the place lately um so like how long does it take to develop? Do they, do you know it all? Uh, it says the project started in 2012, but it oh, doesn't. Uh, I don't know if they've been in development that long, or if that was just when they started the project. I mean, if it started, then that, t- that counts as development technically, because yeah, gaming things. That's that's so that's a long time for just a free game. Good on them. Yeah. Yeah, and so the the art's all hand drawn by the uh, by the tribe, and they also address sort of where their traditional way of life comes into their modern way of life. So at the start of the game, you actually play in present time, and you uh, you travel to what they call the plane of stories, which now I think about it is fairly standard hero's journey stuff. <laughs> Can't oh, even get away from John Campbell in the middle of nah. the bloody Amazon. No, nah. Hero's Journey just just flows you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so Hero's Journey, the basic outline of it is that a hero starts with without the skills that they need, gets a call to adventure, and often goes to another universe or another place, has their adventure with a bunch of other stuff, then comes home with their new skills. I'm just looking at it at the moment, and it just reminds me of Mario for some reason. Well, it's a, it's a side-scrolling platformer, so... You know, Mario wasn't the first one of them, but it's sort of the first, well, the biggest one. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool. I like this concept, how they're preserving a, um, a culture and stuff and, 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 and teaching the um, and teaching the next generation of how how their um, ancestors survived yeah. through, through um, the medium of entertainment. And the cool part is, though, that the copyright of the project belongs to a collective formed by the indigenous people. This actually uh, it reminds me of um, Virtual Songlines, which is a project I, I don't know if that actually came out, but I met this guy at a, at a symposium once, and he was working on a, a project called Virtual Songlines, which would be about you know 
Aboriginals and their their tribes and yeah, I've heard about that one as well. Um, yeah, like I've heard a few. Like, there's that one. There's one that's trying to recreate Aboriginal tribes, Dreamtime and stuff, which I think is really cool. Like, just to, they place them inside cities as well. Yeah, I know there's another one focusing on uh, um, what is it? Uh, what do you call it? Indigenous people of America, uh, Indians, focusing on them and their culture. Like, there's a there's a lot of these projects going around. I think it's a great idea considering games is a you know educational medium. Absolutely, and they actually took the uh, took the chance to help the uh, the Hunikuan tribe by building solar systems in their village. So nine villages now have solar systems that they built while they were out learning how to uh, translate this story. What's going to be interesting about this is. Um... If they if they're going to um, expand this project, it's going to be what narratives are they going to use in this game as well, and and what type of um, messages are they going to talk about in this game? Like, will they talk about like um, the dangers of colonization, the dangers of um, techno uh, modern tech, dangers of um, evolution in the tribe, that kind of deal? Well, the Hunikuan, according to this article, are pretty um, into technology. Like they still want to have their sort of traditional way of life, but they want to have the technology uh, in integrated with that. So they actually wanted the solar panels. Nice. I mean, it's a really respectful way to go about it, considering like I'm not saying all part of any culture, but I mean the world's moving forward, and unfortunately, that means adapting to it is the hardest part. So yeah. the fact that they want to try and integrate, uh, not to try, actually, actually integrate and try and like keep their culture but blended in a way that sounds like they're, they're really giving themselves a good shot yeah and plus they uh, and plus now that now their um life stories is, is in the internet and we've not all know that one rule in the internet the internet never forgets, never forgets. <laughs> yeah i mean especially it's on um it's already got lots and lots of attention which is great considering which means there's already a lot of ton, tons of downloads a ton of different copies pardon me so it's like a server goes down it'll still be out there somebody yeah. upload it yeah, I hope they've uh, registered their site on archive.org as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing that um, one of the articles here. They're saying that um, during field experiences, we have quickly noticed that the Huni Cooney's fascination with technology. Many times, we he- we heard the following expression: "We, the Huni Cooney, own um, the science. You, the Nawa, which is which is their version." Of- they were saying white people own the technology. From a broader perspective, the alliances that are built between the, these two people, as in the case of projects and journeys, relate to uh, relate to shamanism. Open the way to exchanges of knowledge and tools, but between the science of the forest, which is medicines, and the instruments of the white people, which is technologies. Right? Yeah. So it, yeah, it's like Devi said, it's a really respectful way to go about uh, preserving their culture and their knowledge. Yeah. And I really recommend actually downloading it and playing it because it's uh, a pretty cool game. It's simple. The graphics are, you know, all hand drawn. They're not like, it's not some AAA game, but it's still actually pretty good. Yeah. Like, are they, is it on Steam? Uh, no, it's as far as I'm aware, only available from their website. I, I honestly think it's a more, that's a good idea. Keep away from Steam, please. It's a. <laughs> oh, nothing, Epic. Uh, no, no, oh, I mean, Epic's games will probably be all right. The Steam seems, um, Steam's, uh, I don't know how they improved it much lately, but Steam's, Steam can be quite toxic. So, yeah. given that, I, I don't know. Maybe we should give it a try. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, I hope this also, um, I'd love to see this team get more funding and be able to do this again. I think that'd be a good idea, especially with a bit more of a 
backing. Like, I reckon, like, if they had developed this as a small project, like, think about what stories they could bring with, with the help of a full-fledged 3D artist team, right? Oh yeah, can you imagine the the they might even they might even tell like um they might even have their own game of um playing as fables and uh, which under the narrative of fables and legends. Yeah, like I was just thinking like Hellblade. I think that was what the name of the game was the girl with the, you're playing as the girl with the uh, amnesia, not amnesia, but mental problems. I guess. Uh, Hellblade Seyuna's uh, sacrifice. Yeah, probably that. Yeah. Like not particularly like that's um in itself just fantasy, but like use that like a game like that, right? But you can tell these stories through. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So DJ, what are you? What have you got for us tonight? So I have. Um, so last week we spoke about Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, the comic book series that's coming Whoa. out. There recently, I think uh, recently, as in two days after that announcement, an anime is coming out. <laughs> Hey, 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 mate, mate, there's 3D girls and there's 2D girls. (laughs) I will die on this hill. Okay, Professor, you're on. (laughs) So you have chosen death. Yes. I will stand proud of my body pillows in in fighting in arms. I can imagine Demi Boy just smothering the professor with a waifu pillow, just going, embrace <laughs> death. Get you back, know extrovert. Get back. <laughs> the question and is, she- though, like, you know, in movies, they use the pillow as a silencer for the gun. Yeah. <laughs> Would he use his waifu as a silencer to shoot me? <laughs> I mean, I'll be killing the waifu in the process of hurting you. <laughs> Not that I would want to. This is this is a fantasy idea. Don't get any ideas. But let's yes, clarify kid. that now. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if I was to do it to someone who I actually hated a lot, and I had to use the sacrifice of waifu, I wouldn't do it. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, nah, not worth it. <laughs> not worth it, mate. Look, poly pillows are really expensive. Like, I won't go into here to get you off, so I don't make you go off track. But it's not worth it. Not worth it at all. So, um, anyway, so the title of this anime series is called Cyberpunk Edge Runner. So it's going to be a ten-episode anime series being developed with the help of Japanese-based studio Studio Trigger. Oh this, wow! What, so Sorry. this is. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So this is the studio that's famous for anime series such as Little Witch Academia, Promar, Darling the Franks, BNA, Brand New Animal. And so Edge Runners is set in the world of the video game, but centers on a street kid. And uh, the announcement it reveals to, it reveals that they're having everything to lose, he chooses to stay alive by becoming an Edge Runner, a mercenary outlaw known known as a cyberpunk. Wow! I mean, if it's Studio Trigger, I am all for it. Like they know how to animate shows. Um, uh, yeah, they're... like they they did Little Witch. Blah, 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 words. They did Little Witch. Little oh, Witch Academia. <laughs> yes, Little Witch Academia. Yep. Little Witch Academia and Killer Kill, and they know how to animate fights and stuff. Like so. Like, I was thinking before, okay, it's an anime series, it's great, but, like, if it's one of the small studios, but it's Trigger. They're the, they're the spiritual, well, actually, technically the child of Gainax, who made Evangelion. Like, these guys know what they're doing, so... So, wow. to expand on the story, so you'll be a mercenary outlaws. Uh, if that sounds like the start of every show, sh- Shadowrun game, you're not alone. <laughs> a lot of people are anticipating on this stylized, futuristic, dystopian anime. And it will be leaving a lot. Of, it will it will leave a lot of Easter eggs, I reckon, and background which is nodding to the 
game that's coming out. Now, the question is, is this coming out before or after the game? Um, I think it's, from what I'm gathering, it's coming out before the, uh, before. I think it's after the series. Uh, after the game, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll be understandable. Yeah. It's uh, coming out in 2022. Uh, currently, it's okay. after. Yeah. That'll be after, yeah. Yeah. So it's Well, 20- it actually, who knows? It could get... Cyberpunk could be delayed by another two years. <laughs> you never know. Can you imagine when it, when it comes to Dece- when it goes to December? Oh, here we go again. Another delay. <laughs> so well, uh, I'd hope they they announce that before then, because doesn't it supposed to come out in November? It's a, yeah, but come on. <laughs> and when it, when it comes to November, they'll be like, oh, we delayed it again. Do another month. <laughs> And no, I, don't, I, reckon, I don't think they will. They've, they've done it too many times now. They know people are getting antsy, so they'll make sure it'll be out by the end of the year. Hopefully. So, um, Sire Elder, the Japanese-based producer of this anime, uh, tells that Night City will serve as the stage here too. The characters and storyline here are entirely new, so that those unfamiliar with the game will enjoy the anime too. So, and uh, she also states that I like to think that it's going to be great. A uh, great gateway for newcomers to come and check cyberpunk game and also the cyberpunk genre. Yeah, yeah I mean, I wonder what William Gibson thinks of this. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will, I want to know what really Scott's going to think of it, considering he made Blade Runner, and that's one of the biggest influences of pretty much all cyberpunk. Yeah, um, um, between William Gibson's Neuromancer and Blade Runner, that's all, all yeah, cyberpunk. Neuromancer gave a lot more of the. Uh, narrative parts of Blade Runner genre than Blade... Yeah, Blade Runner genre. What was I saying? Cyberpunk genre. Blade Runner is what created the visual style. Did you... So just curiously, guys, with the Blade Runner, did you guys ever like the new one? The new... Yeah, I loved it. I, I, I haven't I, seen it, so please don't spoil it, because I keep meaning to see it, but I don't. <laughs> it's three or something hours long, so yeah, you need some time to sit down and watch it, but if you like, love the original, you'll love the new one. If you didn't like the original... You will hate. Them. Now, is that whether I like the original uh, theatrical cut or director's cut? Or oh, Jesus Christ! Whichever please. of the other five cuts uh, there are. <laughs> just, go the fi- just, just go off the final cut. The final yeah. cut. That's the best cut in my personal book. Unless you want angry Harrison Ford narration. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> and we want the for some reason they alternate like every other release um seems to decide that he's a, a synth for a human and you'd think uh, they would what, just what's the word for it they're no, replicant replicant that's it yeah yeah uh, it's funny because everyone everyone so everyone else who made the movie apart from ridley was like he's human ridley's like he's a replicant so obviously you've got this battle going on between him and ford and it's just like He's a human. No, he's a replicant. No, he's a human. No, he's a replicant. It's just you, you could see both of them getting angry at each other during like interviews and stuff. Yeah. So, um, um uh, so going on with this uh, topic, uh, Masahiko uh, Otsuka, uh, Otsuka, uh, Otsuka, sorry, 
CEO of Studio Trigger saying this is Trigger's 10th um, year anniversary. So we have prepared the ultimate team of Imaishi and Yoshinari as director and character design to bring an outstanding result. They're really going all in with this, aren't they? Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, 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 they're not pulling. They're pulling. They're not pulling any punches. They're pulling all the punches. Yeah. So um, for those wondering who is um, Imayashi, he's the director of Kill a Kill. And um, Akira Yamaoka, he will direct the show score, and he is famous for Silent Hill, the games. <laughs> just, just clarify that, please. Not the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the, uh, game, the game director, Adam Batsky, saying is, um, we, are we are so excited to finally reveal that we're working on an anime in the cyberpunk world. We've devoured the, uh, just about all the sci cyberpunk fiction there is to watch, read, and play. It's a genre that leaves so depressingly much. little. <laughs> uh, it's a genre that leaves so much room for creativity and had such a strong influence on us. Cyberpunk Edge Runners is our love letter to cyberpunk as a whole and to stories told in an animated form. I, I think he's not wrong there. I mean, like the cyberpunk in, as a genre, even though it's been told very little, that's it's a very inspiring genre to look into. Like what the what the future holds in terms yeah. of. I, mean, I wouldn't I've, say it's inspiring because, no. by definition, cyberpunk is pretty shitty. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the thing I've got because I have a love-hate relationship with the cyberpunk genre currently. Because the point of cyberpunk is not to go, "Wow," it's meant to go, "Oh crud, I don't want this to happen." So, like us moving towards cyberpunk genre in real life is kind of the opposite of what we should be doing. Because the entire point of the genre is to basically big medical operations are bad. You know, global warming is bad. This, that, but you know, what I mean, dystopia. So uh, a lot of people have made cyberpunk. It, it's fine. It's like it's, it's a genre in itself. Is what's all about creative medium. But like the whole purpose of the genre was born from the eighties, like corporate dystopia and being like you know things, money and everything taking over, poor rich and stuff. But whenever you have flashing lights of visuals now, it's like wow, cyberpunk, woo, cool. But yeah, it's the opposite of what it's meant to be making you feel. I think in in respect to twenty seventy seven, the whole point of the show. Uh, show movie. I mean, there's so many news. 2077 sort of coming out. The whole point of that game is like they're, they're going the full cyberpunk route where it's like, yeah, this is not a place I would personally like to live. Um, meanwhile, you got some other media with cyberpunk where it's like cyberpunk, it's like a label slapped on top where it's like, hey, it's cyberpunk guys, look, flashing neon lights. Woo, uh, isn't this cool? Um, so that's my gripe, my little gripe with the genre. Because I love the genre, but it's like you gotta get the blend right. Um, <laughs> my 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 interesting thing with this is it's coming out on Netflix, and it's very interesting. Our CD Projekt Red is having this unique relationship with Netflix. Oh, it's mean, yeah, a Witcher, yeah. Yeah, The Witcher was interesting. It was good. It's a good series, but I hated the whole timelines thing. That was like, ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that that was my only gripe to show because it was very confusing. Because I I had to do a little Google search just to make sure I was on the correct episode. Because Castlevania was really fun. <laughs> oh, Castlevania is amazing. I haven't seen Castlevania. Go watch it. It is. <sighs> oh, there is no other video game adaptation that comes close to the levels of Castlevania. Yeah. Just. Trevor, stop drinking, please. Yeah. <laughs> the question I'm going to be interested in is what type of narratives are they going to use in this for this game? Though? Are they going to talk about like um, crime in this in Cyberpunk is very high and he's trying to survive the, through the life of crime, or are they going to do the whole government conspiracy angle? Or what angles are they going to use in the story? I, I don't know. Considering it's City Project Red and being pretty, they're going to want to try and experiment with some new ideas. That's what they were all about, right? So 
I think it's going to fall, fall into some kind of trope because every story plot points are always has been used. You can't make new story plot points. I mean, um, genres. Ah, what's the word? You can't. There's a saying where every single story that's ever been told is ever been told. Like it's going to fall in some category, but I reckon it's going to be one of the more obscure ones. But I mean, who really knows until it's out? Yeah, yeah I know that. Damn it, why can't I remember? I know that law that you're talking about hmm? about uh, every story being told, but. Yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, what have you been playing, Devi Boy? Me? Well, I was playing VR chat, but then I managed to get, as I already explained, my quests linked up to my computer, and I just went crazy downloading free VR games from Steam. So, Half Life Alex, Steam VR Boat Simulator, um, <laughs> a few little tech demos and stuff, and then having fun fixing bugs inside the, all the programs. <laughs> uh, Another bugs. Yeah, uh, the bugs. They run away. Yeah, but no. Um, Half of Alex. I'm not going to say much about it because it's already been talked about to death. If you want to see the future of gaming, play it. That's that's basically all I have to say about it. It is it is both at the same time like it's Valve. Of course, it is. This is what they do with the Half Life series. It's all about pushing innovation. It is both a tech demo, an excellent game, and also just visually impressive. Like I had a, I had a friend of a day who never played game. They're a law student. They don't play video games at all. Oh, you're right there, professor. Yeah, my audio ping was going high, so I yeah. It's <laughs> all good. Your friend has never played a game. Never played a game. They're not into gaming at all. Put the VR headset on. And they instantly knew how to play it because you play it like your real life. You pick up a gun, you pick up the gun. You pick up some object in the game world, you pick it up as you would in real life, right? You put so it's your like, hat on the frog, you are the frog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so <For a> meme, okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's just, I, I people when VI first came out saying it was a fad, like motion controls, nah, it, it, this is, there's no, I, I, don't see how this is not going to take off. The only issue holding back VR right now is it's just too expensive. Because, um, like, you got the six, 600 AD headset, you've got your $3,000 gaming rig, or don't need that, maybe a $1,000 gaming rig, right? That's a lot of money to spend on the hobby for a lot of people. Once I thought, you know, people do buy their fancy $1,000 flagship phones, so I don't know, what priorities, I guess. Um, like, yeah, just once... get a second job. Not in this economy. I reckon once a VR headset's going to hit three hundred dollars, then it's going to start hip off because that's going to be the same price as like a console. So three hundred bucks. I reckon. Your... We're... Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, like, what's your biggest gripe with this with this game though? Besides the price and whatnot. Uh, gripe. I think my biggest gripe so far has been. It's kind of, uh, I haven't found too many. I haven't played it enough to really find the gripe. I I do feel uh, like the weapon selection is a bit low, but that's not the point of the game. The point is it's a psychological, it's not psychological. It's just a cosmic horror, I guess, best way to put it. It's Half-Life. It's a, it's a mishmash of genres. So I can't really announce on gripes too much yet because I just haven't had enough time in it. And um, what about you, DJ? Um, I've been playing Valorant. And yes, I know you're gonna say, yeah, another an, another shooter game. Woohoo! No, I was going to ask if you were any good. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've been um, how many? I've been having like 13 deaths, 15 kills. I mean, that's that's. I don't know enough to say whether that. Yeah, I mean, your KD ratio is at least positive, but it doesn't <laughs> sound positive enough. Uh, depends on who you're playing with, though. That's the that's the downside when they, when you're playing against um, yeah. when you're playing with other people. It's like, ah, uh, are, are there going to be any support? No support? 
Dang it. <laughs> like, how, how helpful is it with Valorant? And so I know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not allowed to exit a match once you've started it. Oh, you can exit a match, but then okay. the, but then you can't reconnect into the match. Oh, oh I see. Yeah. Um, well, te- well, it's a very long process to reconnect into the match, though. But um, with Valorant, they've done some new changes um, in terms of um, changing to the U. Changing with the UI, They've, although unfortunately they still have the same old microtransactions. Surprise, surprise. Ah, <laughs> oh, big surprises there. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, it's basically, uh, as I said, um, the, la- the first time I played it, it, was it's basically CSGO with Overwatch. So, and you have to buy the abilities as well, which is a pain. Um, the ultimates, it basically comes in after you successfully do a number of kills. And it depends on your character. Like some characters have a decoy ability, some characters have a resurrection ability, some characters have a um, an attack, an all out ability kind of thing. So yeah, and yeah, so I've it's been. been... Oh, sorry. Oh, who? Oh, we're talking over here today. Um, yeah, it's like it sounds very Team Fortressy. Yeah, it's basically Counter Strike with heroes. So yes, I see. yeah, yeah. And it's fun. It's fun. The, the other stupid part about it is um, some guns are broken as hell, like your shotguns. They're broken as hell. And some are even weak. Some are really weak. Like, even if you carry, like, a, a mach- an SMG, you try and shoot that person, like, it'll take, like, one full round just to kill them. And, it, and they use a pistol, and one shot, they'll kill you. You're like, what? Are you sure you're hitting them? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure I'm hitting them. <laughs> it's just, what the hell? Uh, it's like, really? the game balancing is a bit off. The ba- yeah, the balancing can be really off at times. Uh. And you do, and you also get the odd um, challenges or two, like, you have to, if you get, like, a couple of challenges, you get an XP boost and stuff like that as well, so... You get your daily challenges as well. No, but like, how much does it cost? It's free. Oh, it's free. Okay, well, in that regards, I say keep them. I'm fine the microtransactions. I was thinking because it's a free game, then of course you're going to have them. Tell you yeah. to make money. How um, many people to a team? Uh, I think it's five. Hang on a sec. It's five or six. I've check. Give me a sec. Well, right. five. There we go. Five people in a team. Okay. And I've been playing Outer Wilds, which I don't want to spoil at all because it's <laughs> a very narrative-driven game, but it's bloody amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so is this the one developed by the people who made um, Fallout New Vegas? Uh, no, that's Outer Worlds. Oh, okay. So I don't recommend looking at the uh, the photos on the Steam page because I've just checked there and seen that there's a few spoilers in there. Ooh. Like, only minor stuff, but stuff that, um, you know, stuff that you want to see for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, but, can, you uh, at least, can you at least give us a bit of a plot to the story? No, not the whole entire plot, but, like, yep. what the story so is about. you're a, an astronaut from from your uh, planet, I guess. Um, well, yeah, your planet, sorry. You, of course you're an astronaut from your planet. Why am I saying? Man, <laughs> the dementia's back. Okay, so you're an astronaut with with a spaceship, a radio scanner, a um, translator device, and you're just told kind of just go out and explore, go and see what you can find out about the uh, sort of precursor race. So some um, some past civilization created tons of stuff and built um all these ruins that you can find and explore and my favorite part one of the first things you can do is cook marshmallows on a fire (laughs) (laughs) 
that's, that's beautiful. apparently the main food source of... Uh, I don't remember if they give your species a name, but you're not human. But apparently the main food source is marshmallows. I mean, I'm down for some marshmallows any time of the day, so I agree <laughs> to the species straight away. <laughs> yes, and the plot feels very... Uh... So do you know the book Rendezvous with Rama? Can't say I do. Nah. Okay, so it's a bit of classic sci-fi mm-hmm. about... Um, yeah. So it's about exploring an alien spaceship. An alien spaceship flies through the solar system and some scientists drop in to check it out before it flies off. And there's they don't meet any sentient life, but they uh, go around exploring and doing tests and trying to figure out who built it and where it came from. Um, so, uh, so you're going from planet to planet translating old... Uh, old writing and everything, figuring out puzzles, um, exploring. It's one of the few that gives you a, um, one of the few games that gives you this real sense of exploration. I'm looking at the trailer and why does it remind me of No Man's Sky? Uh, I guess you could say that, but it's better than No Man's Sky. Yeah, it's, it's got that, actual yeah. gameplay. Well, yeah. it depends which version. It's not to jump into defend No Man's Sky. Like, I mean, depends. I think they've done a good job getting back to where they are now. But like, yeah, are you talking about the original No Man's Sky release, or are you talking about the current release of No Man's Sky? Of course. Yeah, you can't take the piss out of the new version of No Man's Sky because it's actually become a kind of functional game. Yeah. You can uh, absolutely uh, take the piss out of the launch version. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> The launch version was hilarious. Yeah, it's um, embarrassingly bad. Yeah. But I'm looking at the this game and, yeah, what other fu- functions can you do besides exploring? Like, can you defend yourself and stuff? Like, if you uh, were... No combat. No combat? No combat. Yeah. So you're equipped with, um, I said, the radio scanner. You can use that to pick up signals from things you might want to check out. And my favorite feature of that is that there's one mode which looks for other um, other astronauts from your planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other astronauts like to sit around their campfires playing playing music. Wait a minute. How are they... <laughs> How do they have a campfire and they're still wearing their spacesuit? <laughs> I've just seen that in a, a photo on the, the Steam page. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. Secrets. Um... Secrets. <laughs> magic. <laughs> it's magic, everybody. Well, uh, magic. No, 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 no. The magic is something called the debug menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so where was i uh you were talking oh, yeah, about the, campfire and the mystery in the yeah, mystery so <laughs> the other um the other characters like living characters that you meet when you look for them using the scanner you can hear them playing their instrument over the uh the signal which is just really cute uh it's got really nice music too um the you have a device called a scout launcher which shoots out these little uh camera pods which are used to detect a a substance that's bad for you called ghost matter and um also to you know explore the planet so you can fire one off and put it into orbit around a planet or you can throw it into a cave and it will light it up uh you also have uh, you've got a jetpack, so you can move around in zero G or boost yourself up a, a cliff. Uh, a spaceship built out of wood. <laughs> yeah, the style is pretty cool, though. Like, everything your species builds is out of wood, but it's still pretty cool. The concept um, is really nice. I will say I will, yeah. I will say that. It's a pretty good concept. So, like, Alien 3? <laughs> 
I can't say I've seen that. Oh, um, okay. Actually. So it's basically Alien Three. Sum it up is Alien Space Space Monk there monk inside a wooden spaceship. Okay. <laughs> yep, this is still part of the Alien I franchise. I wasn't aware of that. I thought that was set in a prison. It's a pr- Oh, okay. Sorry, yes. It's a prison, but there's some wooden thing. Okay. Unless I'm getting confused <laughs> as Alien 4. I can't remember exactly, but somewhere in the Alien franchise is some wooden prison thing. Yeah, so, um, I will ask you, it's a bit of a Groundhog Day loop, and um, part of the exploration is learning when to go where. So there's some places that are only accessible at sort of certain times of day. Um, one place, I've never actually gone back there late enough into a cycle to check it out, but it um, becomes inaccessible after a certain time. Uh, I really recommend checking this out if you've got any interest in um, exploration or um, like alternative sort of storytelling in games. Yeah. Oh, Sounds- by the way, um, by the way, Devi Boy, it was a wooden planet. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I'll just search right now because the wooden spaceship was an early concept design. That's what I was getting confused with. But yes, wooden planet. Okay. <laughs> the monks on the wooden satellite. <laughs> That's, yeah, okay. Makes sense now because I'll... My memory is faint, but I remember something wooden in the Alien franchise, which I found hilarious. But no, it sounds like a really cool uh, game, so I might, have, I might have to give it a shot. How much is it currently? Uh, currently on sale for 24 Aussie dollars. That is pretty darn good. And if you want the soundtrack, it's $36. That sounds about yeah, right. <laughs> but the, uh, oh, the, the music is amazing. So, yeah, well worth checking out. Hmm. No, um, on tour. Oh, sorry, gonna, DJ. Sorry, I was going to say, like, so how many nerdy beanies would you give your games out of? Uh, oh, yeah. I'd give uh, out of wilds at least five out of five. Five out of five. Wow, that's a good, that's a big score. I honestly don't want to rate mine yet because I haven't played it. I mean, it's Alex. You already know what it probably would be, but I guess I haven't finished it yet. Is there anyone who actually, like, doesn't mind it being in VR who doesn't like it? <laughs> Because I've heard people complain that it's in VR and they can't find the VR legs or whatever. But what? apart from that, I don't think I've heard anyone complain. Yeah. No, yeah, the only complaints have been because it's a fully VR game and most of the other Half-Life games weren't. Well, all of them weren't. So, but anyone else who's played it, here she has it. I haven't heard anything bad from. So, you know what my score would be, but I don't want to give it a rating yet. Just to be an ethical journalist. <laughs> All right, so TBA on your end then. Yes. All right. Um, I'm going to give mine a three out of five. Okay. So for uh, shout outs, on the 26th of June, 2020, Milton Glasser passed away at 91. <clears throat> Milton was the graphic designer who created the poster of Bob Dylan with the I Heart and Y logo. He brought wit, whimsy, narrative and skill drawing to commercial art at a time when Advertising was dominated by severe strictures of modernism one hand and cozy realism of magazines on the other. <coughs> he also designed the logo for DC Comics, Stony Brook University and Brooklyn Brewery. He died from stroke and renal failure in Manhattan. And on the 27th of June, Charles Webb, author of The Graduate, passed away. Charles Webb's debut novel, The Graduate, was a satire of his college education and was adapted into a film of the same name. Webb was 24 when the book came out in 1963. Uh, He died from a blood condition in Eastburn, East Sussex. And that's the movie that's famous for the line, Are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? Uh, According to the show notes you've given me, uh, it's Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me, aren't you? Yep, that's the one. (laughs) It also says that he um, was labelled a fictional failure by a critic. 
and it only sold 20,000 copies. Yeah. And that was the movie, I think, that launched Dustin Hoffman's career. Okay, and on the 29th of June, Carl Rayner passed away. Carl was a writer, producer, director, and actor, uh, created The Dick Van Dyke Show, and uh, directed several hit films. So he won nine Emmy Awards, five for The Dick, Dick Van Dyke Show, uh, had roles in Ocean's Eleven trilogy, and on Two and a Half Men and Hot in Cleveland. Yeah, he's the uh, man in the Ocean's trilogy as the... Um- old guy i think that had a the first one was the billionaire or posing as a billionaire and wanted to get his um wanted to put wanted to get his um stuff being stored away in his, in the safe yeah i see he also did a, a skit called uh, the 2000 year old man which um i'm going to look up after because that sounds interesting <laughs> uh right so on the 30th of june uh at the queensland university uh university of southern queensland and NASA discovered a new planet the size of Neptune. This planet is only 32 light years away, so fairly close in the uh, in the scheme of things. It's uh, orbiting the star AU Microscopy in the constellation Microscopium, and the planet would unfortunately not be suitable to live on because the surface temperature is over 1,000 degrees Celsius. On the 29th of June, uh, sorry, remembrances, on the 29th of June, 1855, John Gorry passed away. John Gorry was an American physician, scientist, inventor of mechanical mechanical cooling, and humanitarian. So, uh, he came up with some cool ideas, including air conditioning hospitals, for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Because the uh, malaria theory, sorry... Uh, the bad air theory. You've called it malaria there, but um, which nowadays is known as the mosquito-borne disease. But uh, the other term for that, I believe, is miasma, which is a much older term. Yeah. Um, so because back in the day they thought uh, they didn't have germ theory and they thought that bad air caused diseases, he decided, you know, what, we should cool the uh, cool the hospitals using ice in a uh, suspended on the ceiling. Now that's one way of air conditioning. Yeah. So he developed a mechanical cooling device to make homemade ice, so he wouldn't have to ship it in by boat. These are actually quite cool. <clears throat> Although it reminds me of the Simpsons when um, the men had to bring in the ice. And it's like you gotta go, you gotta find a way to get these ice. We're dying every, we're losing men every day. I can just think of the uh, the Future Armor episode where they solve global warming <laughs> by uh, by dropping a giant iceberg into the ocean. <laughs> Hooray, it's solved! Once and for all! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, um, on the 29th of June 1997, William Hickey passed away. William was an American actor best known for Don Corrado Prizzy in uh, Prizzy's Honor and Uncle Lewis in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Dr. Finkelstein in The Nightmare Before Christmas. He uh, he taught Herbert Berghoff, George Siegel, Sandy Dennis, Barbara Streisand, and Sandra McLean. So he passed away from emphysema and bronchitis at the age of 69 in New York City. And on the 29th of June 2003, Catherine Hepburn passed away. Catherine Houghton Hepburn, the American actress, uh, appeared in movies for over 60 years. She received four Academy Awards for lead acting performances and eight further nominations. In 1999, she was named by the American Film Institute the greatest female star of classic Hollywood cinema. So, Audrey Hepburn uh, passed away in of cardiac arrest at 96. Sorry, did I say Audrey Hepburn or Catherine Hepburn? Catherine. Okay, good. 
No, actually, yeah. no, you said Audrey. Oh. Well. Oh, actually, no, you said Audrey. Sorry. There we go. I meant Catherine, obviously. The dementia's kicking in. <laughs> okay, we so... To, um, do we need to get, to get a... Do we need to like? Do we need to start reading out just some like memory helping books? Or <laughs> oh, that's the thing. I've got all the notes here, so I'm just reading from the notes. So you know, see, so there's a there's a, dis- there's a distance uh, connection here in your neurons between the the eyes and the brain reading and the voice yeah, box. that's the problem. Ah, I see now. <laughs> My eyeballs aren't eyeballing. <laughs> Uh, on to the famous birthdays. On the 29th of June, 1793, Joseph Russell, Joseph Ludwig Franz Russell, an Austrian forester and inventor, designed one of the first working ship's propellers. So he was awarded a patent for the propeller in 1827 and modified a steam-powered boat in 1829 and test-drove it at six knots before the steam conduits exploded. The police banned further testing, although it wasn't uh, due to the propeller. He was com- commemorated on Austria's 500-shilling banknote in the 60s, which shows him on the front and the test ship Civetta on the back. He also invented pneumatic post and ball and cylinder bearings. He was born in Trudim, Bohemia, Habsburg monarchy, and he has a hell of a nose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why was there... Curiously, what was the reason for the ban? If it wasn't because of the actual power and stuff? Uh, I assume just because he was going around causing explosions and people thought, well, this ain't right. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of fair, you know. You don't really want steam engines exploding over the place. Yeah, it's, um, you know, just one of those things I've always been told, try not to blow things up. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're an inventor, which then... <laughs> if you can't, if you don't, something doesn't blow up, you're not doing it right. That is true. So, on the 28th of June, 1818, Angelo Secchi was born. Father Angelo Secchi was an Italian astronomer. He was a pioneer in astronomical spectroscopy and was one of the first scientists to state authoritatively that the sun is a star. He discovered three comets, produced an exact map of the lunar crater Copernicus, drew the first color illustrations of Mars and described channels on the planetary surface. He observed the made drawings of solar eruptions and sunspots. He organized expeditions to observe solar eclipses and proved that the solar corona and coronal prominences seen during an eclipse are part of the sun. He invented the heliospectrograph and telespectroscope. So these are devices that work by splitting the color of the light coming in into, um, you know, running it through a prism, basically, and then taking a look at the um, absorption lines that they see, which are interestingly enough caused by interacting with particles on the on each planet or each star planet whatever and you can look at that data and find out what it's made of so on the 29th of june 1861 uh william james mayo was born did you guys hear that nope Must be okay. the i'm gonna make a note to edit that out uh <laughs> edit screaming uh, in screaming. i heard that sorry James Mayer. <laughs> Someone outside just went, Whoa! <laughs> I think I vaguely heard him. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> I hope it's not a murder. <laughs> hey, where were we? James Mayo. Yeah. Oh, and before we start on James Mayo, um, with, with Seki, uh, he was also the guy that's famous for making the Seki dish as well. Mm. And um, he st- studied the Aurora Borealis, the effects of lightning and the cause of hail as well. Okay. Aurora Borealis? Oh. Yeah, this kitchen oh. at this time. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Localized all in your kitchen. <laughs> yes. May I see it? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, Simpsons. <laughs> okay. So, um, Angelo Secchi also created the Secchi dish and studied the effect of lightning on the, um, the co- and the cause of hail and the Aurora Borealis, which in this case was not located entirely within his kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Can I still see it? No. <laughs> so you mean I can't fly to the Northern Hemisphere? I mean, no, you can't because it's closed. Oh, shoot. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Yeah, planet's closed. Southern <laughs> Hemisphere. Uh, you'd have to go, like, past Victoria, and I wouldn't want to go there right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm. I mean, I could just make my own boat and then just south. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, on the 29th of June, 1861, William James Mayer was born. William James Mayer was a physician and surgeon in the U.S. and one of the uh, seven founders of the Mayer Clinic. So the Mayer brothers, William James and Charles Horace Mayer, uh, founded the um, found well joined their father's me- medical practice in Minnesota in the 1880s before forming the not-for-profit Mayer Clinic in 1919. In 1883, they had a large part in treating the victims of a tornado which struck their town. So in September 1931, Mayo and other prominent individuals were invited to make a prediction in the New York Times about the world in 80 years. So that would be 2011. And his prediction was that life expectancy of developed countries would reach 70 years compared to less than 60 years in 1931. Well, we're doing quite a bit better than that. The average life expectancy in most developed countries is over 80 now. I wonder if that number is going to lower down significantly because of the corona, though. Yeah, that would be interesting to study. See how like how many people would need to die of coronavirus and at what ages to cause a certain effect on uh you know, on the overall uh, average age of death. Yeah. So, yeah, so before you go on, uh, so I'm looking at the average life expectancy in industri- industrial and developing countries for those born in 2018 by gender. So for more developed uh, countries, uh, 76 for men and 82 for women. Okay, so even in um, countries that aren't fully developed, we're still above his estimate for developed countries. Yeah. Which um, is yeah. Oh, written. sorry. I was I was going to say less developed countries. It's sixty nine for men, seventy three for women. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll split the difference and say you know yeah. Um, things are you know life is much easier now than it was. Yeah. As long as people don't cough the rona onto you. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that pretty amazing to think? Is the span like was what year is that first published? The paper. Uh, 1931. Wow, so even less than 100 years have gone from that to this. Like, human history is like thousands of, like, you know, 5,000 years something, and we've gone from that to spend of, what, 60, 70, I think? No, it'd be around 80, 90. I'm bad at math, but <laughs> it's just, just that point. Yeah. The point of being how quickly things are developed. Yeah. Absolutely. And now we've even gotten to the point where people refuse modern medicine because they think it's out to get them. <laughs> Real clever people. <laughs> So, uh, on the onto events of interest, on the 29th of June, 1613. Oh, uh, Professor, you missed one. Did I? 
Yep. <laughs> On the 29th of June, 1868, George Ellery Hale was born. George Ellery Hale was an American solar astronomer who discovered the magnetic fields and sunspots and was part of building the 40-inch telescope at Yerkes Observatory, the 60-inch at Hale, um, Hale Reflecting Telescope at Mount Wilson Observatory, and the 100-inch Hooker Reflecting Telescope at Mount Wilson, and the 200-inch <laughs> or reflecting telescope at Palomar Observatory. He has a lot of telescopes. <laughs> he does, and they just keep getting bigger. <laughs> so in 1908, he used the Zeeman effect and a modified spectroheliograph, which uh, we mentioned just a minute ago, uh, Angelo Secchi. Although I noticed you've given me two different names there, DJ. One's a spectroheliograph, the other's a heliospectrograph. <laughs> no, that's what they came this out This one's with. not on me. <laughs> <laughs> So he established that sunspots were magnetic with a strong tendency for east-west alignment of the magnetic polarity and mirror symmetry across the equator and that polarities in each hemisphere switched from orientation from one cycle to the next. This property is known as the Hale-Nicholson law. You mean Nicholson law? Yes, that's what I said. Oh, you said Nixon. I tried to say Nicholson, but the dementia's getting to my tongue. (laughs) (laughs) So on to events of interest. old. He's just am... old. Leave him alone. He's a poor old man. <laughs> On the 29th of June, 1613, the Globe Theatre was built. Sorry, burnt to the ground. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what, a twist. what a twist that was. So the Globe Theatre was built using wood from the very first permanent theatre in London. In 1576, uh, in 1613, it caught fire during a performance of Henry VIII due to a theatrical cannon catching fire. No one was hurt except for a man whose burning breeches were put out with a bottle of ale. <laughs> Here's to alcohol, the cause and solution to all problems. <laughs> well, at least it was ale and not, say, uh, vodka. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, like high-proof vodka. Don't worry, we'll save you. And just, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <clears throat> hey there, Jimmy. I see you got a little bit of fire in your hair. Sorry, right, here's some higher spirit alcohol that's going to pour on there. Oh, God. <laughs> well, nobody loved Jimmy anyway, so. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> so, on the, uh, the last one for tonight, on the 29th of June, 1975. Let's see if I can get through this one without stuffing up. <laughs> Steve Wozniak tested his first prototype of the Apple One. The Apple One was the first computer from Apple made by Steve Wozniak with little or no input from Steve Jobs. It came without a keyboard, monitor, or even a cabinet. So, Wozniak, who was 26 and an employee of Hewlett Packard, at the time, uh, was part of the Homebrew Computer Club in Palo Alto, California. The Apple One was a circuit board with 32 chips attached, and he observed that this was the this test was the very first time anyone had typed on a computer and seen the results on the computer screen right in front of them. Because before then, you'd have to deal with uh, tape inputs and outputs, um, teletype, and there's a really interesting history of input devices, which I won't get into here. And uh, he described it as like getting a putt from 40 feet away. And the Apple One sold for $666.66. Was says that he (laughs) didn't uh, intend that to be a satanic reference. (laughs) And if you want to see an Apple One, as they are very rare, we actually have one here in Australia at the Powerhouse Museum. Oh, nice. 
nice. Really? I've been there all the time and I've never yeah. seen that. It, it's, yeah, I... I've seen you. It, it's, we've got one in a lock case, in its original casing as well, that was sold in. Here, I'll set a post into the little chat for you to have a look at. It's there uh, in the glass case. Here you go, in general. It's like yeah, I'm going well, to the powerhouse as soon as that opens. <laughs> that's when we got what we got in Australia. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So yeah, if you're Ooh, Australian and you would like cute. to see some computer history, head down to your local powerhouse if you're in a Sydney. Otherwise, it'd be a holiday. Go, get a holiday to go see Apple. Oh, is Weather. that the Sydney powerhouse? Sydney powerhouse. Sorry, wrong powerhouse. <laughs> uh, I, now I'm disappointed. Although I've oh. been there, I think, and I don't think I've seen it. Oh, well, going to have to fix that. That's <laughs> um, that's adorable in a little briefcase. Right? That keyboard looks familiar, but I'm not sure I can place it. Uh, yes, anyway, that's our last one for tonight. Um, DJ, where can they find us? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's our can.com. Um, all of our stuff will be on our show notes. Um, they can also find us on... I was going to say Instagram, but I already said that. Pod Hero. Uh, oh, yeah, Pod Hero. Yes, the, yes. We, you can also find us on Pod Hero, where your support will be greatly appreciated. Yes, you can support us there for uh, $5 a month, and it splits across all the podcasts you listen to. So you can check us out, and you can also check out the latest podcast from That's Not Canon, While You Were Steeping, which only just came out while we were recording. So that was like, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> this is a, a podcast about tea. Tea. Yes, oh, the stuff oh. you drink. Okay, they're drinking. I love the name, though. That's a great pun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's all we have. So do you guys have anything to add? No, I think we're all pretty good. Fine. Okay, so we will um, we will see you next week. Take care of yourselves. T- um, stay hydrated and see you soon. Yep, have Ooh. fun, guys. And stay away from Victoria. <laughs> so, I would highly recommend that. I think it's a... Go to, are they open the border of New South Wales yet? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.